0: Today on Radical Personal Finance, it's live Q&A. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, the show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua and I am your host, your guide, and your fellow traveler on this journey towards financial independence. Today we do live q and have got a conference line opened up, a couple of callers sitting on the line. We'll go and have some questions and have some chats about financial independence. I enjoy doing these shows because it gives me a chance to talk to you and allows it to be very practical. One of the challenges of being a podcast host, it's e- easy for me to sit in my office and uh, <laughs> come up with things uh, that seem relevant to me. But uh, sometimes, without that live interaction with you, it's often hard for me to be uh, sure that uh, the comments are very uh, are going that what I have to share with you is going to be really, really relevant. So we've got a few callers on the line, and we'll have to deal with some real life situations. So let's start with Matt in Tampa. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you? Today, please.
1: All right. Thanks, Joshua. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so my wife and I in about two years uh, plan on me going to seminary and we'll be moving. And my hope is that uh, I've accumulated enough cash as well as some assets and different retirement accounts that when I'm at seminary, I'll be able to primarily focus on my studies and my family and, and perhaps only work you know, part-time uh, if necessary. So I guess my main question was uh, to get some of your thoughts about how I can tax efficiently uh, get distributions out of these retirement accounts and specifically how to utilize uh, a backdoor Roth uh, slash Roth conversion. Uh, and also to talk about, I guess, the five-year rule as it pertains to taking out qualified distributions, uh, if I understand it right. But uh, that's pretty much
0: the main two questions. Okay, well, let's start with. Uh, I want to make sure we do a good job, so let's start not with the, the with jumping right into that, but give me just a quick overview of your financial si- uh, situation. How much money do you have in IRA or four hundred one k accounts presently? Uh,
1: presently in my IRA and Roth IRA. Let's separate I've the got... Roth.
0: Oh, let's put hold on, just the IRA or traditional four hundred one k.
1: Okay. And the traditional four hundred one K, my wife and I have a combination of about, about seven thousand as of today, and the traditional IRA is about four thousand. Okay. So about a total of twelve ish.
0: Okay. And now how much in Roth IRAs between the two of you?
1: Uh about forty five hundred.
0: 4,500. And of that 4,500, do you have any guesses on how much of that is your contribution to the account?
1: I haven't looked for a while, but I would say about probably 3,500 or so.
0: Okay. And do you have other money outside of retirement accounts, other savings or investments that aren't in these 401k accounts? Sure.
1: As of today, we should have somewhere around 25,000 in- and cash, just in uh, bank and physical cash.
0: Okay, great. And do you have any debt?
1: No, no debt.
0: Okay. So, uh, so basically the question is you got $25,000 in cash, you've got $4,500 in the Roth IRA and then in traditional IRAs and 401Ks you have about $11,000 and your goal is to go to seminary with uh, and graduate with no debt or as little debt as possible and to do this in the most efficient way. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, that's accurate. Uh, I I also I should have said this. I do have about uh $2,300 in a uh a 457B, okay. uh, deferred compensation, and I also have about 5000 in a health savings account, which I try to forget about and just keep it for health emergencies.
0: Okay. When do you plan to start seminary? How many years from now?
1: Uh, approximately two years, fall of 2019.
0: And have you already chosen where you'd like to go to seminary?
1: Yes, I believe so. It hasn't been finalized, but I think we've narrowed it down.
0: How much is it going to cost you per year?
1: Per year, the tuition is about six thousand.
0: Okay, and how many years will you be going?
1: It should be a four-year program. Okay,
0: so your total um, your total cost here for your program is uh, twenty four thousand dollars. Do you have any idea about financial aid, scholarships, uh, other grants, and things like that at this point in time?
1: No, not really.
0: Okay, and. Y- do you uh, what's your plan as far as living expenses how much do you think you're going to need for living expenses during that $4000 time for, sorry during that 4 year time
1: um as of right now it looks like somewhere around 2200 a month uh although the the rental situation is a little iffy and then of course with uh healthcare that's kind of been a difficult one for me to uh to assess just with some of the Political changes or potential changes or lack thereof.
0: What's your current plan for household income?
1: Um, household income uh, at that time in seminary.
0: Yes. How are you going to earn your money? Is your wife going to bring income to the family? How are you? What's your plan?
1: Uh, predominantly, it should only be me. Uh, my wife and I hope that she can be a homemaker. Although she does have, uh, she is a registered nurse, mm-hmm. so she might be able to do a little bit here and there. Uh, predominantly it would be me bringing in somewhere between maybe 5000 to $10,000, uh, either working at the seminary or potentially I should have my MBA by then, so I, I might be able to work uh, something in accounting or business or taxes.
0: And is your question on the backdoor Roth, the five-year plan and all of that, is your question basically around the, the idea of converting the traditional IRA and traditional 401k to a Roth uh, with the goal of minimizing your 10% penalty tax? Is that what you're hoping for?
1: Yes. Yeah. My, my hope was that I could uh, begin those conversions in those years that I'm not really earning any or very much uh, earned income and then pay the quote unquote tax at that time at a zero rate or close to that and then take the, uh, the qualified distributions for higher education expense uh, from the Roth. I think that's what I'm trying to do. Interesting. Okay, yeah, and and the question I had about the distributions is, from what I had read from the IRS and other articles, I wasn't sure if uh, I needed one particular Roth IRA to have existed for up to five years, and then the monies I convert into that uh, could be taken out as qualified distributions, or if Each instance of money being converted uh, to that Roth had to have a five-year waiting period in order to avoid that 10% penalty. That's where I'm a little lost. It's
0: a good question. I don't know the answer for certain off the top of my head. Um, My guess would be, based upon the intent, kind of the spirit of the intent of the rules, my guess would be that the focus that they want is they want to have the money itself seasoned for five years, uh, so not just that an account has existed. Otherwise, I think that would be an abusive situation. Let's say that I had a, uh, I'm had 40 years old. I've had a Roth account since I was 20 years old. But then I'd want to do uh, a conversion into the Roth uh, account this year. And because of the fact that the Roth has existed for 20 years, then uh, – uh, I can just take it out right right away. I don't think that is although I can't cite it for sure and say hey here's the code or the tax court ruling or anything like that that would say that that doesn't that doesn't match the spirit of the law as I understand it to be. And in general with tax planning, it's, you're pretty safe to go with the spirit of the law. There are a few exceptions, but in general, if you're looking at it, just think, OK, how would a thoughtful, rational person apply this? The five-year rule is uh, – for distributions from a Roth IRA, the five-year rule is intended to mean that the money needs to actually be there for five years. So I think it would actually be the, 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 the actual dollars that have been converted that need to sit there for five years. Okay. Yeah, but um, but I don't think that. Uh, I mean, in, in general, in your situation, uh, I don't think this is going to be a big thing either way. You have a lot of money outside of the cash. Uh, outside of the cash, or only in terms of your asset structure, you're really these 401ks and IRAs are a very small component of your overall uh, of your overall plan. Uh, and so, yes, if your income drops during the time that you're in school, then uh, then look carefully and see can I go ahead and make a conversion uh, to this. But if your income drops uh, substantially, then that is the time to go ahead and make any con- any conversions that you can. Uh, do you think you'll be able to save more money in the next couple of years?
1: Yeah. Uh, by the time uh, by the time I go to seminary, uh, my expectation is we should have about eighty five thousand or so in the different assets, and I think the overall cost should be one twenty to one one hundred forty thousand. Uh, so there's still a gap, but I think most of that could be filled with part-time work or maybe some other advantageous situations.
0: And do you and your wife presently have children?
1: I'm sorry, can you say that again?
0: Do you guys presently have children?
1: Uh, no, but we are expecting Great. Uh, this coming year.
0: Awesome. Congratulations. Well, I guess my thoughts for you, just to to kind of wrap up, um, hopefully I've answered the question sufficiently. My thought for you would be um, do everything you can to uh, earn now. And then uh, probably the biggest cost is not necessarily the cost of seminary, but the cost of, uh, of housing and living expenses. And I think that while you're in seminary, it's an appropriate time for you to look for a unique living situation uh, that will a uh, unique living situation that can cut your expenses significantly, I hate the modern much of the modern seminary system that uh, sits, spits out uh, newly minted and 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 certified um, and ordained preachers with uh, Debt with college debt, just like uh, you know, just like the secular world spits out newly minted students with college debt. I hate it. I think it's a terrible plan. Um, and the biggest cost there's there's two ways to attack it. There is number one, the discussion of the actual cost of the seminary program, and number two, there is the cost of living expenses. And if nothing else, uh, I think that uh, one of the most important places ways for churches to be involved with supporting students who have. Decided to go to seminary or seminaries at the very least to provide housing and to provide opportunities. So, whether that's maybe somebody can put a fifth wheel camper on their, uh, on their You know, out behind the barn, or if there's somebody who has a big enough house where they've got an extra wing where you and your wife can live. Um, If you only have small children, that's a lot easier than if you have larger children. Uh, But I think that if that you should look to take advantage of support within the church for your living expenses, Uh, and if you can cut that rent to down significantly, it dramatically changes uh, dramatically changes the whole scenario. For those who are interested in, in seminary, one of the most inspiring articles, I will um, make a note here and uh, write about it, but one of the most inspiring articles I've ever read on the subject of seminary was uh, by uh, Joel McDermott on the American Vision website. He uh, wrote an article titled uh, Bachelor's Degree BA to PhD for Under $15,000 Total, How I Did It, and he explains his path to, uh, through his bachelor's degree, master's degree, and PhD, wherein he was able to go to school get his doctorate uh, in theology with uh, – and, to- and total, his cost was less than $15,000. That doesn't cover some of the challenges of uh, living expenses, but it does at least cover and talk about some of the challenges and expenses relating to classes. I've, I found it really inspirational article. I will link it on today's uh, – in today's show. Curtis and Spokane, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today, sir?
2: Thank you, Joshua, for taking my call, a uh, long listener. Um, so, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for uh, just about two years now. Um, we're pretty much settled on making a move to Hawaii uh, within the next two or three years. Um, the thing that I wanted to ask you about is, A, um, how viable um, is it to be financially independent in paradise? Um, obviously the cost of living is substantially higher there. Um, rent, housing, food costs, uh, you name it. Um, I can give you a little bit of background of sort of why we, we want to make this move.
0: Yeah, please do. Um, if that helps.
2: Yeah. So, um, we got married a couple of years ago. There's a lot of things that are, uh, currently going on in our lives. Um, uh, her mother was, um, had colorectal cancer. Uh, she passed away about uh, a year ago, and then my mother right now currently has um, pancreatic cancer. Uh, so we've been doing a lot of caregiving, and we, we absolutely love doing it. Um, it's just, uh, I don't know if you've had to care for a loved one I have. Uh, with cancer before, but it's very, um, it's a challenging process with all the, just the ups and downs that you would expect from taking care of a parent and those type of situations. Um, although our marriage, our marriage is wonderful. It's fantastic. Uh, we, we've, just, we've just had a lot of bumps in the road just, uh, from that perspective and uh, my wife, she's from, actually she's from Thailand and she, um, our climate here in Spokane is not conducive to our lifestyle. Um, there's just not a lot of things for us that we enjoy currently in the city and we want to move somewhere that's more reflective of, of what we want to do on a daily basis. Um, hence why we want to, we want to move to Hawaii just because of the the environment, the the lifestyle, the, the culture. Uh, we visited uh, Maui a couple of times in the last two years and absolutely loved it.
0: So I guess to me, um, I would answer the question in this way. The scenario you're describing is – the scenario you're describing is a matter of prioritization. If you need to get to Hawaii uh, for a break, uh, for an opportunity to rejuvenate after this difficult time of your life uh, and it's uh, compatible with your and your wife's lifestyle goals and for her own uh, health and and happiness, uh, she needs a change. So to me, those things are all way more compelling and way more important than financial independence. Uh, if you think about it, if, let's just focus in on the fact that your wife is, doesn't like Spokane, is miserable there. If you spend the next 10 years and your wife is miserable living in Spokane but you get rich – just so that finally you can go and be happy. So you know, if, uh, speaking broadly with these terms, of course, I, I, I think that's a dumb plan. Uh, if a simple move can help significantly to bring more happiness and peace to your marriage, in my mind, that's um, that's absolutely the way to go. So I wouldn't look at it in terms of uh, yes or no: should I go or shouldn't I go? I would look at it and say these things are more important. You need to. You need. Your goal is to be in Hawaii. And one component of financial freedom that is very valuable is to focus in on lifestyle first. I think one of the key things to do is to purchase some of those basic lifestyle components uh, as early as you can. And the the biggest ones is location. If you know where you want to be and you're not there, get to where you want to be as quickly as you can. And then once you're there, Start to make a new plan toward financial independence. Uh, Start to make a new plan toward uh, figuring out how can I live inexpensively, increase my income substantially, and save the difference until I can live on the cash flow from my investments. I think it's possible to pursue financial independence in just about any context, living just about anywhere, but your plan will change depending on the context that you choose. If you choose to live in an expensive place to live, then you'll have to look at it and say, well, how can I accomplish? Accommodate this plan. And here would be a couple of comments. Number one, expense is relative. Many times you will find that a place that costs more will also have higher incomes because. Uh, costs are going to be related to income. So you may have more economic opportunities when living in a place that's expensive than you do in a place that's cheap. I love the country. I like to live out in the country and Mississippi is a beautiful state. But there aren't as many opportunities, financial opportunities to earn a lot of money in a physical job uh, living in Mississippi as there are in New York City. So there's a reason for the difference in cost. This balance can be changed and kind of brought a little bit out of whack when you live in a place where a lot of people are retirees or when you live in a place where people earn their income from abroad. That does change things, but still, there's got to be some connection between wages and cost of living. The next thing is every place that you choose to live will have some offsetting uh, features that you can look at. So Hawaii might have uh, expensive rent, But you might have a climate that doesn't require as much energy use. Uh, energy is expensive in Hawaii, so I, I got to be careful there. But maybe you don't need <laughs> air conditioning quite so much. Uh, or maybe there's a, way, a pl- way that you can figure out how to get your food less expensively. And so how I would approach it is I would start by saying we've gone through the process of saying this is important to us. We want to make this lifestyle change. Let's figure out how to make the transition, and then once we're there, how can we intelligently handle all of the details that are there? There may be some sacrifice involved. Maybe you say uh, we were living in the city, but we found an opportunity to live on a farm where they'll give us, uh, you know, an or- live on an organic food farm in the mountains, and they'll give us uh, discounted rent in exchange for labor. That would be a really great thing for us to go and do for a year while we get our feet under us, give us a time to spend out, spend time outside working on a farm while we figure out what our next step is Uh, or maybe you uh, share a house with other people so that you can cut your expenses etc you can figure out a way once you're clear on what you want to do and then my other encouragement would be remember incomes are not fixed there are lots of ways to make money and if you have a goal that's important to you uh, you can probably find a way to increase your income uh, substantially towards that goal okay that's great
2: advice yeah we've um I've done a lot of of research on the economics of Hawaii, and it seems like for the last at least five to 10 years that wages have uh, remained relatively flat while the housing market has escalated uh, quite substantially. Um, So jobs, at least uh, in terms of uh, income, have been difficult even for the uh, locals to afford um, even their mortgages. Um, But yes, uh, to give you some background, um, our current household income right now is about 115,000 a year. Um, we have about 40,000 in cash with about 60,000 in Roth uh, IRA and traditional 401ks. Um, our current value of our house currently is about 280,000 and we owe about 185,000. Um, I guess one thing we, did consider is if we did move we could sell the house but we could potentially rent that out as well um at about twenty three hundred dollars with our current mortgage payment at thirteen hundred fifty dollars per month so um and then we also uh run a local business uh in the city and just based on a rough number we could potentially sell that for a hundred thousand dollars so i guess With all that information at hand, um, would it be wise to purchase a home and be house poor in Hawaii? Or would you still suggest trying to rent for the first year or so and then figure out what
0: we want to do? If you don't know Hawaii, uh, I would be slow to buy quickly. Uh, if you know Hawaii, then certainly you can consider it, but everything you 're describing to me uh, basically what you described is the fact that you and your family could move with no debt and three hundred thousand dollars in the bank. You can set up a new life anywhere uh, and figure out your next steps you can that that allow that you have a level of financial independence that makes almost any lifestyle choice accessible to you uh, because of your careful planning and And work over the years, so you have the ability to do that. Now, the specific details: should you open a business there? Should you get a job? Should you buy a house? Should you not? Um, I don't know. In general, I think it's probably a bad idea to buy a house uh, with. uh, It's a bad idea to buy a house quickly, and here would be a couple of reasons why. Number one. You're not sure the neighborhoods. You're probably not – may not even be sure which island you want to be on and all real estate is local. It takes a little time to be in a place, to understand the culture of a specific neighborhood to see is this the type of neighborhood that we want to be in. That's just standard. So in general, if you can find a rental, in general, it's always a good idea to rent for a little bit until you decide where you actually want to be. Number two, you're just describing coming off of a season of life of great pain and great work. And you've described that your wife probably needs some time to rest and to heal. Uh, I wouldn't want to be making long-term decisions uh, with regard to housing in that context. I'd want to give her some time to heal uh, and to rest and then to make sure that we're making clear-headed decisions. Number three, you're moving, uh, making a huge move, and you don't know if the lifestyle is actually suitable to you. Maybe island living is all you've dreamed of. And maybe island living is not for you. So it's best to make small commitments until you're really confident and sure. I've known lots of people who've moved someplace and, hey, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, a few months in, they start to realize, no, this is not so great. And if you can minimize the cost of those decisions to extricate yourself, I think it's uh, wise. And then number four, take a look at the trend of housing in a particular area. If what you're describing to me about Hawaii real estate is true, you want to be very careful about buying in. Who knows if it will continue to go up or who knows if it will continue to go down. But I do think you uh, should be careful about buying in. So for those reasons, I would move pretty slowly. Any final follow-up questions, Curtis, before I go on to my next caller?
2: Uh, no, that's great. Thank you, Joshua.
0: Great. Well, thank you to listening to the show, and I, uh, I, appreciate, um, I appreciate the question. It's, a, it's an awesome position that you're in. And I would just emphasize to other listeners, notice how independent Curtis and his wife already are. In the financial situation they described, no, they can't – they don't have $3 bucks in the bank to spit out money that they can just sit back and live on. But there's no life decision that is that, – that, that, that's out of their reach. There's nothing that they can't change lifestyle wise. And those lifestyle changes are the first most valuable aspects of financial independence. The process of being able to live on the income from investments will come later. Nathan in Pennsylvania, you're up next. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today, please? Hey, Josh. Thanks for taking my call.
3: Um, had a couple of life changes, uh, recently wanted to get your opinion on it. So, uh, changing, changing jobs, uh, moving a couple States away. And I have, so we had two houses. I had a a house that we owned and we rented, uh, just South, uh, in another state, about an hour South of us, um, long-term renters in that house. Uh, they told us recently that they would be Uh, Moving, Um, we basically, (laughs) sorry, Um, so we sold our house that we're in now and we'll get uh, probably about uh, $60,000 cash back to us in this. The the house that we own um, about an hour south of us is paid off. Uh, It was uh, our first house that we moved into. And it was, you know, we moved uh, north when the market was bad. So we decided to keep it and rent it, had really good renters, um, uh, good experience renting. Um, so really what we're looking at is in a few years, possibly coming back to, you know, that area. And we don't know whether to sell the house to keep it. We're not sure of the, uh, the tax uh, implications. And if we did sell it, um, not sure what. You know, we would do with that money, whether to invest it. I know the market's uh, really high, so it makes me a little nervous putting all that in the market. I'm um, not sure exactly what to do with that.
0: How much is the house worth? Probably about 185. And do you maybe 190. Do you know how much you paid for it? Yes, 115. If you moved back to that area, would you want to live in that house again
3: uh it's it's not a bad house. it was more of a starter home. Uh, we would be okay living in it for you know a couple of years to um, uh, you know not pay the capital gains there's there's no guarantee of getting back in that area, but it it sounds pretty promising that they uh a position would open up with the the company that, uh, that I, um, started working at. If not, um, you know, it, I could always uh, find another, another, um, you know, job in that area. Um, and I, I can give you background information kind of on our situation too. Yeah, that's
0: probably enough. Um, so the two, the two decision factors that jump out at me in this decision is one, the rental, and the challenge of managing a rental from abroad uh, or from another state, from farther away. And number two yep. is the capital gains. So that's the tax question. And is, it worth, is it worth going around? So number one, the rental. If you didn't own the house today, would you buy a rental house two states away and uh, in the neighborhood and the type of house that this house is?
3: Uh, probably not, unless it was a really good deal I couldn't walk away from. Right. But I probably wouldn't seek it out, yes.
0: At $185,000, would you buy a house uh, like this one? Would that be a really good deal? No. Okay. So just kind of a simple way of trying to get to the heart of the matter of zero-based thinking. If you wouldn't do it again today, then you probably should be careful about continuing to do it. Now, that, that question ignores the embedded tax liability because the only reason that you don't want to put it on the market right now is uh, and sell it for $185,000 is that you're saying, well, I've been out of it. So now it's not my primary residence. Now I'm going to have to pay the tax on the gain of the property. So what you need to do is you need to calculate the embedded tax liability in the property. If you did sell it today at $185,000, calculate the sales costs. How much are you going to lose in real t- realtor fees, et cetera? Probably get a market analysis done by a local real estate agent so you have an accurate idea of what you think it would sell for. And um, and then calculate how much tax you'll owe on the sale. Figure out, you have to figure out and calculate what is your modified adjusted basis in the in the property, how much you paid for it, how much your actual basis is today based upon the fact that you've rented it out, and then calculate what the tax that you would owe would be on the sale, and then ask yourself that question again. Let me just use some some simple numbers. Let's say that on the sale of it, you can sell it for $185,000. Let's say that your sales costs are... Not eight eight grand. So let's use ten grand for for round numbers. Eight thousand dollars of sales costs and fifteen thousand dollars. Sorry, ten thousand dollars of sales costs and fifteen thousand dollars of tax, uh, capital gains tax on your gain when you figure out what you've actually benefited from it. So now let's say instead of clearing one eighty five, you're going to clear one fifty. So calculate that math and then ask yourself the question again. Would I buy this house for one fifty? You know, what I if, if so, um, you know, is that a great deal? Well, if it's not, then you should consider going ahead and just taking the profit, because as you said, the reason you didn't want to sell it when you moved was because the market was down. But the market has been up, so we have got to do a little guessing. Do you think the market has more room to run locally? Are the trends strong, or do you feel like we're at a strong point where it might be good to go ahead and 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 sell it?
3: That's the. I think the market's going to be. Strong. Uh, there's a lot of major companies coming in there, and in the last three months, it's went up uh, considerable, probably, probably fifteen percent
0: jump. So that's significant. That's really important for you to pay attention to. So, you, but but you've got to consider it and do the analysis and run the numbers, and then ask yourself that question: Do I think this? Do I think this house has? is gonna be worth more in the future. Now number two, if you move if you move back. I think your biggest risk here is lifestyle. Uh, it would be unusual for many families who purchased a starter home and then moved out of the starter home into what I presume was probably a nicer home to want to move back to the starter home uh, and to be content with that from a lifestyle perspective. That would be unusual. Uh, now I like unusual. But you got to ask your, ask the question. Ask your <laughs> wife: Are we would we really be willing to move into this starter home again? Would we really be excited about it? And then what you can do is calculate the tax savings, because in my understanding of the uh, the the ownership and use rule, that would help you to avoid the, uh, the the tax on the sale of a house. If you move back into the house, the the two the two rules are that you have to own and occupy a house as your principal residence for at least two years before you sell it. And you have to have, uh, uh, you have to have it for at least two years out of the, out of the previous five. So you've got to, you've got to handle, you've got to handle, have both of those things as your, you must have used the home as your, as your principal residence for at least two out of the five years before the sale. So I think you could run this scenario where you could move back there. It's your principal residence, declare it as such, and then you go ahead and sell it, and then you have the, uh, the tax-free gain. But that's going to come with a lifestyle cost. So it might be worth it. But and the question is, ask your wife, how much do you value this tax-free money that we can get? Is it worth it? Is it <laughs> are we actually going to do right. that? Right. Right.
3: Um. So we have talked about that and we are pretty weird. Uh the la- nice. the last five years we we've changed our lifestyle considerably. Uh, um, you know, kinda got on to uh different uh people's forums, you know, the Mr. Money Mustache mm-hmm. and Jail Collins uh found found you not too long ago. So um, all of the well, actually, it all started with Dave Ramsey. I think similar to your story a little bit. I think if I remember it, but uh, I guess maybe graduated up from that. But give give him a lot of credit. He got it started, and um, so my wife is pretty excited. At least the potential of what it's done so far and where it's going. It wouldn't be an end game. Um, but we see the potential with the growth, but we're not, we're not, I I would say we're not emotionally, uh, attached to it or anything like that. Um, but I guess if, if we did decide to sell it, cause it's kind of on the fence, uh, with it, I, I I really am struggling where to put it because if we sell our current house and where we're going, we're going to rent for probably, we're probably going to rent the, 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 you know the few years we expect to be there because we don't think financially would be worth uh, a buying and we don't want to put roots down there and make it more difficult to leave. But uh, so if we sell that and we have this, we'll probably have about 120,000 in cash. And if we sell the other one, you know, let's say we clear, uh, I would say conservatively 150, you know, that's, that's a lot of cash. And, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure what to do with it, which is, sounds crazy, I guess, but I'm, I'm nervous about putting it all in the market all at once at record highs. Yeah,
0: would we'll just put it in a bank and wait until you just find a good opportunity. <laughs> I'm, that's that's my plan if I don't think of anything yeah, else to it's, do. It, There's This is a big pet peeve of mine, and uh, not picking on you, but you're expressing the thing. People have a fear of having just money sitting in the bank, and I don't get it. Uh, When we're talking a short-term perspective, having money sitting in the bank is not a problem. And by short-term, I mean a few years. Uh, There's no reason to worry about what to do with money uh, on the short-term. The best thing to do if you don't know what to do with it is just – keep it safe, put it in the bank, and leave it alone, and uh, wait until you have an opportunity where something will come along. If you imagine just about any scenario, uh, and you think back in two, three, four-year chunks of your life, it's very common in most people's lives that in two, three, or four-year chunks, you'll find a good use of money. That may be that there's a correction in the stock market. and You say, you know what? I'm going to buy in. That may be that there's a change in the housing market. And you say, this is a time for us to go ahead and pull the trigger and buy this particular type of house. Mm -hmm. That may be you have an idea for a business or you have a friend of yours that you want to... Engage in some kind of private investment, but there 's no reason for you not to just put the money in the bank uh, and that shouldn 't be a reason for you to keep it uh, to keep the money in, in, in real estate if you want the money in real estate, you can always just uh, if, if it 's a good time to sell this house and take your profits you can, and you want it to and you want this particular part of your portfolio to be invested in real estate, you can always find another house to put it into. But there's no – you shouldn't be scared of putting $300,000 in the bank, letting it sit there for two, three, four years until you find something good to do with it. Perfect. It's a big psychological thing that I think people face. But um, when you have money, I think you'll find that there are (laughs) plenty of people that want to help you uh, invest it as time goes on. All right, last caller for today, Josh in Illinois. Welcome to the show. Uh, How can I serve you today?
4: Yeah, hey, I was hoping I could ask two questions. I think one's going to be really easy for you. Go for Um, it. I like easy. All right, great. So uh, I've just been listening for a few weeks and I started with the most recent shows and then I jumped back with some of the older ones and I came across your couple shows about the cash flow statement and the financial condition uh, statement of financial condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of wanted to do that, but I was hoping I could. Take a look at your template, but it's not there anymore, and I wasn't sure if there's a way to get access to it. It expired in the show notes or something, that document.
0: Yeah, that was an old link, and I I do need to replace the document. It's on my list of things that I need to do, Um, but to make it just very simple – In the audio of that show, I described how to do it Uh, and again, I I should go ahead and re-upload those templates and fix some of those old shows with those minor details. But uh, don't let uh, seeing something uh, something else uh, intimidate you. For your statement of financial condition, you just simply write down a list of all your assets and uh, group them according to kind. Uh, Group your real estate assets together. Group your investment assets together. Group your cash assets together. Group your tangible assets together. uh, And then list your your liabilities uh, and just write it out. And you can do it on a legal pad, et cetera, with your statement of uh, cash flows. Uh, top of the page just write out or top of the spreadsheet write out your total gross income and then systematically pull out each of the categories and calculate how much you pay in categories put your uh, employment taxes put your federal income taxes put uh, any other uh, deductions that you have from your paycheck so figure out how to get from your gross income to your net income and then start listing your household expenses Uh, so if you understood just the basic outline of it you can do it Uh, but yes uh, it is on my list that I do need to fix that, um, that document for the old, for the old, old file.
4: Right. Yeah. No. And I, I've created both of my own versions in Excel. I just kind of wanted to
0: take a look at yours. (laughs) You're a spreadsheet nerd. You want to see my spreadsheets.
4: (laughs) Oh, I love them. I love them. I got (laughs) spreadsheets for everything. So, um, Hey, my other question was, um, I guess the short version of the question is, do you have any exposure to, or any thoughts on these, um, sort of medical bill sharing organizations as a, as a substitute for health insurance. Uh, the one that I'm familiar with is called Samaritan Ministries. It's sort of a Christian based. You pay a certain amount every month, but you instead of sending it to a health insurance company or something like that, you send checks to people that have bills. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but the reason I'm asking is because I'm trying to transition my wife out of her job um, by some other side businesses and stuff that I'm doing. And so she can be home, but her health care is great. Uh, and we're going to lose it, obviously, if she <clears throat> quits. So I'm just looking at other alternatives and that's one of them. But I've never really heard anybody from outside of the organization be able to, to critique them. did not know if you had any knowledge on that or thoughts on that.
0: Back in December of 2016, I did a series on health insurance. Episode mm-hmm. 393 was, was part one. Uh, and then it continued on uh, through that series. In episode 403, I talked about, it was called the Health Insurance Series Part 4, How to Avoid and Evade the Obamacare Tax Penalty. I introduced in that show, episode 403, I introduced the concept of healthcare sharing ministries. And then episode 404 of uh, the show was called the – uh, health Insurance Series, Part Five: Healthcare Sharing Ministries. This is how we pay for our healthcare costs in the Sheets family. And then Episode Four Hundred Five was the Healthcare Sharing Ministries wrap-up with a few additional comments. I'll give you the short version of those uh, those shows in answer to your question. I love the Healthcare Sharing Ministry. Model there are a number of good ones. Uh, Samaritan Ministries is the one that um, my family and I use, uh, but there are other good ones as well there 's liberty health share there is uh, i 'm not going to be able to list them there are four big ones. Uh, can I do this off the top of my head i don 't have it um, off the top of my head, I would need to go and, and find my notes. But an episode. Of, oh, here we go. Um, in the notes for episode four hundred four of my show, there is Christian Healthcare Ministries. Then there is Medishare, uh, also Liberty Health Share and Altrua Health Share. So the biggest ones, or uh, the Liberty Health Share, is is more well known now because they've been advertising aggressively in some of the right wing conservative political space. Uh, Christian Healthcare Ministries is very large, and so is Medishare, and then Samaritan Ministries as well. Uh, I like Samaritan – I have had nothing but good things to say about healthcare sharing ministries. I love the model. I love the concept, and uh, I have been thoroughly pleased with our participation in the Samaritan Ministries model of healthcare sharing ministries. I don't think they're for everyone. The couple things that you need to look out for is, number one, there is an ideological and religious statement of uh, – basically a statement of faith that you have to affirm to be able to Participate. That statement of faith ranges from very liberal and inclusive to very uh, uh, conservative and exclusive uh, across those. across those companies so for example Liberty health share requires you to affirm uh, a statement of faith that is very inclusive almost kind of the American civil religion you affirm that there is a God of some kind but you don't necessarily have to make too many specifications about um, what that God uh, is or means and it's much more kind of the American civil religion God freedom etc Um That ranges – Samaritan Ministries, on the other hand, their statement of faith is very exclusive. Uh, It's very tight. It's a Trinitarian confession of faith, and it's very, very uh, careful in its approach. So not everybody can endorse uh, such a statement of faith, and so that's why they're uh, they're, – Exclude it. So for for somebody for a listener who can't endorse one of those uh, statements of faith as required uh, for membership, they would have to find another option uh, for them. But I love it. We've loved Samaritan Ministries. I love with Samaritan Ministries that the checks don't come from the centralized organization. Uh, We had. This last year, we've uh, my wife and I had a child, and um, every dollar of the cost of childbirth was paid for uh, out from the the healthcare sharing ministry organization, and it all came in with very nice checks from our fellow participants in the plan, uh, accompanied with beautiful notes and and congratulations and notes of encouragement and um, scripture verses, et cetera. It was a very refreshing. It was a very refreshing experience after years of dealing with a cold. Old insurance company at the other end of the line uh, but it's not without risk so that's my answer I love it uh, we have uh, I heartily endorse um, these organizations we found it to be very inexpensive uh, and to uh, well, to be very reasonable in terms of the cost our for our family of five our monthly share cost is four hundred ninety five dollars a month uh, and so that's very very reasonable considering the benefits that we get great
4: So I should have just done a search on your website,
0: basically. I I try to keep the the website useful to work with search, but sometimes uh, it's a little overwhelming and I don't do as good of a job as possible. But yes, go and listen to those episodes of the show, and I think especially episode 404, and it'll give you the comprehensive uh, treatment. Any specific questions on um, Samaritan Ministries or the concept in general?
4: I mean, not really. I think almost about half the people I know here in Peoria area work for the company. So I'm not really uh, lacking information about Samaritan ministries. It's just, uh, kind of wanted to get an outsider's, uh, viewpoint um so that's you kind of confirm some of my thoughts
0: so so the only i guess the the final kind of light that i could add would be um in terms of deciding and thinking through the which option to go with which company to go with i find them all to be competitive with one another in terms of premiums etc i think the biggest difference would be uh would be a couple things number one that um Confession of faith that you'd have to affirm uh, upon membership uh, that will be a big thing number two, there may be some specific coverage for ones for for a specific um, uh you know, for a specific thing that would guide you from one to another. For example, the thing that put me over the top for Samaritan Ministries was twofold. One, I liked the fact that the money doesn't go through the central disbursement uh, account, but it comes directly from fellow participants. I like that because it feels very much like the community sharing approach. But uh, another one was for me, Samaritan Ministries had a specific um, – uh, option in their plan and in their guidelines where they said that uh, with regard to tobacco use that an occasional celebratory cigar was expressly permitted. All of the rest of them have – when I was doing the research, all of the rest of them had a complete blanket, blanket prohibition against any tobacco use and they didn't discriminate between cigarettes uh, and cigars, pipes, etc. Uh, there's a huge difference in terms of the health risk from uh, a daily pack of cigarettes versus uh, an occasional pipe or an occasional cigar and I enjoy an occasional celebratory cigar. So I, I found – fr- would have found it frustrating to have that choice excluded from me by joining one of the others. But in Samaritan Ministries guidelines. They had a specific exception for, uh, with regard to tobacco use, an occasional celebratory cigar was permitted. So that was (laughs) just a minor thing that when I was reading through all the guidelines was uh, valuable and important for me. So if you listen to that show and if you read the various guidelines to the different companies, I think you'll find them. The final thing would be each company has a different maximum cap on their coverage. Uh, So not all medical, unlike traditional health insurance under today's Affordable Care Act compliant plans, which has no maximum out-of-pocket, sorry, no maximum limit to the plan. The plan, if you have a uh, $20 million medical expense, the plan will pay for uh, it. Christian healthcare sharing ministries do indeed have a max, have a maximum cap. Now, it can range as high as, I believe the highest is a million bucks, but you would need to read among them and decide what's the appropriate uh, setup for me, but we've loved it. And if you do join uh, Samaritan Ministries, mention to them, please, that Joshua Sheetson you. Uh, Sheets is spelled S-H-E-A-T-S. Tell them Joshua Sheets sent you. And then I will get, um, on my next uh Statement. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll get a reduction in my bill. Uh, so that's nice, and that's not something that's exclusive for me. Uh, I need to keep. I need to start advertising that more on on Radical Personal Finance because it would be very helpful to have dozens and dozens of you signing up with Samaritan Ministries every month and <laughs> telling them that Joshua Sheets sent you because that would uh, help me with my monthly uh, my monthly share amount. Uh, but but uh, anytime you're a member of, well, at least with Samaritan Ministries, and the others I think have uh, equivalent programs as well, you can just simply share it with your friends, and if you share it with your friends, you'll find that uh, they will give you... Uh, they'll give you a discount uh, on your next bill for as a referral fee. I think that's really nice, Uh, and it's very, very helpful. So those of us who have a platform should share it. So if if you're interested in Christian healthcare sharing ministries, go to episode 404 of the show, listen to it. I can heartily endorse the approach. Uh, In that show, I talk about who it may not be right for, just as I've just done. But in general, if you can affirm the statement of faith, and if you're looking for a consistent, reliable uh, way to pay for your healthcare costs, that may work for you. If you choose Samaritan, ministries tell them joshua sheets sent you and i would greatly appreciate that thank you to all of you who called in for today's q a show Uh, i have enjoyed the interaction one more of these scheduled for tomorrow wednesday october 4th so if you'd like to do that go by my twitter page check the just click the link in today's show notes Uh, but uh the call-in number is there you can call up and you can ask me any question that you like uh these particular q a shows are not exclusive to patrons of the show uh you can have access if you're just interested in calling in Finally, if you would like to support the show that I do uh, and uh, support me financially, I would be greatly appreciative of that. Go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron, and you can set that up. RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Be back with you soon. This show is part of the Radical Life Media Network of podcasts and resources. Find out more at RadicalLifeMedia.com. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now, and the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, because we have professional grade supplies for every industry, even hard to find products, and we have same day pickup and next day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call ClickGgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.